Welcome to the Sullivan and Cromwell podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Matt Hurd. I'm a transactions lawyer, and I coordinate our life science practice, especially in the area of M&A from New York. And I'm Sophie Vandergrift, based in Washington, where my practice focuses on antitrust. I'm also an alum of the FTC's Bureau of Competition, where much of my work covered transactions in the healthcare sector. In this podcast, we're going to cover hot antitrust topics in healthcare M&A. So Sophie, you and I talk all the time, like like every day, about specific deals we're working on. But there's there's so much happening in the larger healthcare antitrust environment right now. You and I just finished some client advice concerning the new Klobuchar antitrust reform bill. I want to come back to that. But to begin talking about the dynamic atmosphere around us, electoral change, I think, is probably the most obvious feature. New president, very experienced guy. Chairman Simon resigned from the FTC a couple of weeks ago. Assistant AG Macon Delrahim departed the DOJ Antitrust Division. Commissioner Slaughter ascended to the FTC chair. There's just a lot going on. So before we get into the substance, can you just remind us of how regime change works in the antitrust agencies, both FTC and DOJ? Thanks, Matt. You've previewed some of this in your question. The Biden-Harris administration will involve a shift in the leadership at both competition agencies, and we're in the early innings of that transition right now. And with the changes in leadership, we're also going to see a shift in priorities and perhaps analytical approach to certain types of transactions, including pharmaceutical transactions, which have been hotly debated for some time now, as you know all too well. President Biden's personnel choices for the agencies will be one of the most important ways that his administration shapes antitrust policy. So let me just give a quick update on where things stand. Macon Delrahim, the former Assistant Attorney General of the Antitrust Division, has stepped down from his role. A successor AAG can be put in place quickly at the discretion of the president with Senate confirmation, but a nominee hasn't been announced yet, so stay tuned on that one. The composition of the FTC Commission and its bureau leadership will also turn over substantially in the early stretch of the Biden administration. During the Trump administration, three Republicans and two Democrats sat on the commission, with Joe Simons, a Republican, serving as its chairman. A particular administration's ability to install a majority from its own party, however, depends on the opening of vacancies, as the FTC commissioners serve staggered seven-year terms and can't be removed for political reasons. A couple of weeks ago, though, Chairman Simons resigned from the commission And around the same time, President Biden announced the nomination of sitting Democratic Commissioner Rohit Chopra to lead the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So Simon's and Chopra's departures from the commission will give the Biden administration an opportunity to flip the commission to a Democratic majority just as quickly as they can get new commissioners confirmed by the Senate. But we don't have any news quite yet on who will be nominated to fill those two seats. So we're also watching that closely. President Biden, in the meantime, has reassigned the chairmanship to Commissioner Rebecca Slaughter on an acting basis, and she's the only sitting Democrat at this moment. The elevation of Slaughter rather than Chopra is welcome news to those hoping for a more moderate agenda, as Commissioner Slaughter has historically tended to take somewhat more moderate positions than Commissioner Chopra. As you know, Commissioner Chopra has been particularly outspoken about revamping the commission's traditional product overlap-based approach to analysis of pharmaceutical mergers. So the fact that he'll be leaving the FTC for the CFPB 
and that Commissioner Slaughter will hold the chairmanship, at least until a new Democrat is confirmed, may be seen by some as a modestly positive development for pharmaceutical transactions. Okay, Sophie. So understanding that Chopra has left the building, so to speak, and we don't yet know who will fill the two vacancies on the commission, although we we know they'll be Democrats. Can we glean any insights from Chopra's and Slaughter's recent votes, recent statements on these large pharma transactions like AbbVie Allergan and and Bristol Celgene? What what have the commission's Democrats had to say about what's wrong with the traditional analytical approach and, and what kind of analysis might a Democratic majority push for in pharma transactions? Those are fair questions, Matt. Looking back at Commissioner Slaughter and Chopra's recent dissents in pharma transactions is one way for practitioners in the business community to get a good sense of what Democrats' concerns are with respect to pharma consolidation. It's less clear, though, specifically how these concerns will be addressed by the agencies, i.e., how might the analysis change or expand when the commission is under Democratic leadership during the Biden administration? I'll say I do hope and expect that we'll see the FTC provide guidance and a warning to the marketplace if the new chairperson's agenda does involve a significant shift in in how the commission looks at pharmaceutical transactions. So for now, while we wait to see how that plays out, let's look back at what Commissioner Slutter and Chopra have had to say about recent pharma deals. In AbbVie Allergan, the FTC cleared AbbVie's $63 billion acquisition of Allergan's subject to divestitures, with the three Republican commissioners voting in favor and the two Democrats dissenting. Slaughter said she was, quote, concerned about the commission's approach to pharmaceutical mergers, arguing that in light of AbbVie's public representations about its plans to curtail Allergan's ongoing research programs, she cannot share the majority's confidence that the innovation effects of this merger are competitively benign. Commissioner Chopra went further, questioning the commission's history of requiring divestitures in overlapping products, suggesting that this approach is, quote, narrow, flawed, and ineffective, quote, and by missing the big picture, the commission has allowed pharmaceutical companies to further exploit their dominance. BMS Celgene provides another indication that a Democratic majority might expand the analytical framework applied to pharma transactions. And in that matter, the FTC required BMS to divest Celgene's Tesla after concluding that BMS's phase three product would likely be the next entrant into the market and would compete directly with Tesla. The decision resulted in a $13.4 billion divestiture, which is the largest ever divestiture in a merger enforcement matter. Commissioners Chopra and Slaughter dissented in that one and again found fault with the FTC's analytical framework for pharmaceutical transactions. Chopra expressed skepticism that the status quo analysis would not unearth the full set of harms to patients and innovation based on the history of anti-competitive conduct of the firms seeking to merge and the characteristics of today's pharmaceutical industry when it comes to innovation. He challenged the agency to move away from the, quote, routine analysis and towards greater rigor, including consideration of facts that haven't historically featured in the FTC analysis. And examples of that include, will the merger facilitate a capital structure that magnifies incentives to engage in anti-competitive conduct or abuse of intellectual property? And will the merger deter formation of biotechnology firms that fuel much of the industry's innovation? 
but are also called for deeper consideration of how a merger would facilitate anti-competitive conduct, including reverse payment settlements of patent litigation, sham litigation, and anti-competitive product topping. And Matt, as one final signal that we should expect agency leadership to maintain and probably increase scrutiny of pharma transactions under the Biden administration, I would just also highlight some statements of the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force. That task force was commissioned by the Biden and Sanders presidential campaigns as a way to unify the party following the primaries. And with respect to antitrust, among other things, the task force focused on an increase on mega mergers across a wide range of industries, including specifically hospitals and pharmaceutical companies. It also stated an intent to, quote, use antitrust authority to challenge mergers that lessen generic competition in the pharmaceutical space. Okay, got it. There's obviously a lot going on. We acted for Amgen in purchasing Otesla, so I'm not going to shed any crocodile tears over Bristol Celgene. That's a deal that eventually got executed very effectively for everyone, including the regulators. I do think those minority views on pharmaceutical antitrust enforcement, even if they were coherent, they're still somewhat inchoate. And it's one thing to take pot shots when one is in the minority, but quite another to formulate wise policy in the pharmaceutical industry when one is in the majority. I guess one thing that is less inchoate is the antitrust reform bill introduced by Senator Klobuchar. You and I and our colleagues got a memo out on this. The bill is a bit of a grab bag, but let's focus on what you know I think is the most intriguing part, the burden shifting provisions. So how should people start thinking about those? Yeah, Matt, on February 4th, Senator Klobuchar, who chairs the Antitrust Subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee, introduced a wide-ranging bill entitled the Competition and Antitrust Law Enforcement Reform Act. If enacted, this bill would fundamentally revise longstanding U.S. federal antitrust laws. And as you mentioned, one of the bill's key provisions proposes to shift the burden of proof under the Clayton Act. Historically, the government has borne the burden of proving that a transaction was likely to substantially lessen competition. Klobuchar's bill would reverse that paradigm and shift the burden of proof onto the merging parties to demonstrate that a merger does not harm competition in a variety of common combination scenarios. So that's a really good encapsulation of the fundamental change in law that the senator is proposing. I guess what concerns me, of course, is the procedural impact of these changes and their impact on deal-making in healthcare. In corporate law, burden shifting is effectively outcome determinative, maybe not completely, but almost completely. And here, I think the impacts would be less tidy, but you're a former regulator. What's the forecast for these or similar changes if, in fact, they are enacted? Matt, shifting the burden of proof from the government to the merging parties would have a significant effect on both outcomes and timing in merger litigation. The analysis in merger cases is forward-looking and predictive. The fundamental inquiry is about what competition would look like in a post-merger world. Many of these inherently complex cases are close calls. 
either because the evidence is mixed or because the future effects of a transaction are difficult to model or otherwise predict. And in close call cases, the party that bears the burden of proof generally loses. So historically, as the bearer of the burden, the government had tended to lose the close call cases. But under Klobuchar's bill, where the evidence is mixed or limited, the merging parties would tend to lose. So that's a really big change. But the bill would also shift both sides' incentives with respect to the timing of investigations. Shifting the burden would mean that the government needs to do less work to develop economic and factual evidence, and the merging parties need to do more. Knowing that they have to bear the burden, merging parties might have an incentive to delay substantial compliance with second requests while building their evidence for trial. The government, on the other hand, might have an incentive to rush towards a complaint more quickly. It's a bit of a role reversal. And this scenario also raises interesting procedural questions about who controls the timing. For example, even if they wanted to, the government probably can't move for a preliminary injunction before the parties have certified substantial compliance, which means the parties would retain control of timing. But theoretically, the FTC could sue the parties in its Part 3 administrative tribunal before that time. So it would be interesting to see how this played out. Well, Sophie, I I think that's very, very nuanced, very balanced. It's the type of discussion that's difficult to reduce to a memo. There's so much else going on in healthcare antitrust enforcement and merger clearance, but we're getting the signal that we're out of time. So I think we're going to need to do another episode of SNC Critical Insights, that one covering some new thinking on vertical mergers, some more stuff coming out of the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force, and whatever else comes to the forefront between now and then. I'm sure there will be plenty. I'll be looking forward to that, Matt. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.selcrom.com. 